installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, and as we always do at this time, we say a big, warm Texas welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. got to tell you, it's uh, happy for me to state that winter is over. It's February, and I'm in shorts and a T-shirt, and I'm loving it. Yeah, it's not too bad out here either. We went up yesterday. Most of the El Dorado National Forest is closed, but we did find a spot to go, and it's like 65 degrees. There's snow on the ground. Blue sky is beautiful. Can't uh, can't complain uh, for sure. But uh, you, you think, uh, well, you know what? I mean, Puxatawney Phil, he saw a shadow. He's saying six more weeks of winter. You think this is a faux winter, and we're going to get a little bit more uh, cold or what? Yeah, you know, we might have one more, you know, like cold snap, but nah, it's done. I'm hoping. <laughs> Put a fork in it. <laughs> All right, well, you know, that sounds good. Um, so uh, a- a- anything, um, any of the news stories catch your uh, eye this week? You know, I've been kind of keeping up with the RID situation. And, uh, you know, they're still struggling a little bit on trying to implement that. It's going to be interesting to see what is going to finally shake out um gosh i know that uh, uh a lot of the the chinese folks are getting on board with it and they're doing some some good things with theirs matter of fact i flew some of their product here this last week and uh it was great to have all the reporting aircraft show up on my controller the smart controller uh and it's just like me flying a 172 with uh, that ipad app, I don't know if I can say it, but for flight, I mean, it reports everything that's, you know, every aircraft that's out there that's reporting. And I got to tell you, uh, I like it. I like it. Hmm. So you've been swayed over to the dark side of the force, huh? <laughs> well, knowing where other people are in the air is always a good thing, especially when you're buzzing around in a little, you know, Tin Can 172. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that, especially in congested airspace. Now, when I get out way, way out in West Texas, I really don't care. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm okay. All right. Well, you know, me, I'm not I, – I don't want to give anything up without getting something in return is where I'm at on the deal. And I do think uh, – yeah, well, you know um, – Come on now, you know, I gotta, you got to give a little to get a little. It's a two-way street. And, um, you know, so I think we're going to – we should be hearing something soon on that uh, race day quads thing if they're going to pick that case up and let it roll. And I, and I do think there are a few nuggets in there that I'm, I, I, uh, I'm ready to know what's uh, going on, you know, like um, the navigable airspace thing. You know, I think that needs to be defined. And I, I mentioned that on uh, the, the hangout this week with uh, Gary and the, the boys. Um, you know, uh, we, we, we need to uh, figure out, you know, what, what's going on with this navigable airspace. The FAA is saying, you know, there are rumblings that maybe they're going to loosen it up a little bit about beyond visual line of sight when it comes to drone delivery. And, you know, I mean, of course, anybody that uh, is doing drone delivery now, you can't tell me that there's not times that they're losing sight of the aircraft. And it may only be five seconds or 10 seconds, but that's not what the rules say. Um, and, and there is, 
chatter about them, maybe, you know, okay, well, we understand that you're going to lose sight, goes behind a tree or the roof line or whatever, which to me, again, is not, I don't know if it's really progress because it's going down now. It's just, you know, now you're going to say, oh, okay, it's allowed. So, you know, people aren't covering outside the lines. Um, and that's okay too, but uh, this navigable airspace thing, I think needs to be worked out. <clears throat> Everybody's crowing about the land steel. Oh, we got a million, you know, authorizations. Okay, well, it used to be three miles from an airport. Now it's five. It's a lot of uh, territory, um, and it applies to more people. And um, the navigable airspace thing down to the air between the blades of grass. I mean, it's kind of like you created this enforcement nightmare, and um, you know now you're like, oh, and we fixed this this wild west problem. Thoughts. Well, I have my own set of stories with navigable airspace, you know, like even flying below ground level wasn't even accepted back in the day. And I don't think they've changed this too much. But, you know, again, navigable airspace is going to be really tough to define because, I mean, even here in the hill country, uh, you know, you could fly, and I, I have, I shouldn't say this, but I have flown my 172 below the, the uh the hilltops that we have here, especially when making approaches to some of these airports. So, God, it's gonna, it, that's going to be a tough one. I, I think it's going to be a while before they get navigable airspace defined down to the hyper-local level. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, some of that, like my backyard and stuff, uh, you know, I think it's a little excessive and, you know, drones present a danger on the ground and things like that. Now, I'm, I'm not really uh, too sure on that. And uh, But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, but I do think that needs to be defined. The other thing with RID is I don't know if you've seen the um, that news story that came out about uh, our friends south of the border uh, using this. I, I guess they're taking a um, play from the uh, asymmetrical stuff going on in the Middle East. Did, did you see that? Uh, was this the, the drug running part where they uh, they found that uh, there were drones carrying their own weight in drugs? Uh, drugs, uh, explosives, you know, I mean, these guys are going nuts. And, and you know, that's another funny one. You know, we've been, and I don't, I, don't want, I don't really care what side of the political aisle you're on. You know, this, this notion that everybody's, oh, you know, all of the these cartels are buying their guns from the uh, gun shows, really? Well, I mean, it sounds like automatic weapons fire to me. And, uh, you know, the gun show loophole, I, doesn't, I don't think, uh, allows for you to get automatic weapons, does it? Do, do they, is that how it works? The drone shows you go to, you just cash and carry? <laughs> no, I, I don't think I've ever yeah, seen any firearms at a drone show ever. Oh, well, at a gun show, but even still, you know... Uh, you know, it's 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 nonsense, and then all of these uh, these explosives that they're dropping off of this. I guess they're making landmines and everything else. But the the point with it is, um, is you know, any technology people can you know, let's say, use for nefarious reasons. But uh, I don't think RID is going to slow these folks down. That's, Probably that's my not. Yes. Um, so that's something that needs to be. Addressed. Um, I, I don't know that that's. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the end all be all for that. I doubt it. Kind of like the counter UAS systems that cost you know ten million dollars 
take out a uh, drone you could buy on eBay for 300 bucks, but whatever. <clears throat> Not my problem. Um, moving on to the good news. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the DJI fly numbers. And, um, you know, I, so I did some of the back of the envelope real quick with the, the calculator. And uh, 10 to the minus 5, which is where GA is at now. I, I don't think they're, they're up in 10 to the minus 6 category right now. I don't know. Are you following the safety numbers for the NAST? Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, I think you probably ought to explain to our users what that 10 to the ninth, 10 to the 6 really I'm good. means. What it means, well, 10 to the minus 5 is one fatality every 100,000 flight hours for, for uh, general, well, not just for aviation in general. Most of the, the 121 stuff, like you get on a uh, commercial flight to fly from, uh, you know, L.A. to Tierra del Fuego, that stuff's 10 to the minus 9, which I think is like one in a, it, it's, it's either one in a billion or it's, it's one in a, a lot of uh, fatality. So... Uh, look, we, we look at DJI's numbers. We have 76 million plus takeoffs. And if you just times that times 10 minutes, which I think is fair, we don't know for sure. I did I did contact uh, my Chinese contacts, and I'm going to try and get them to break this break the numbers down for me a little bit more. So we'll see if that works. But if you if you just time those 76 million takeoffs, 10 minutes, you get uh, 12,700,000 flight hours. And to reach uh, 10 to the minus 5, we're down about 127 uh, fatalities. And, again, that's, uh, that's worldwide. And um, we don't know how many drones that is exactly. Not everyone has opted in to the uh, to, to that um, reporting system. But we'll have to see, you know. Um, if we could if we could distill those numbers down and, and maybe try and get flight hours out of that, you know, uh, it should be pretty interesting. In my estimation. Now, did you say that there was 127 fatalities? No, we would need 127 oh. fatalities from drones to to match the equivalent level of safety of the uh, the GA safety numbers, 10 to the minus five. And- and as far as I know, there have not – I've never heard of any fatalities from drones. Have you? Uh, you know, there was – there are, there have been a few years ago – well, it's more than a few years ago now. There was a guy that uh, – he was doing 3D with a – I think it was a 90 size helicopter and hit him in the head. Blade, or the, uh, the, one of the, the blades hit him in the head, and it, and it did kill him. Self-inflicted. But anybody who's seen – you know, 3D flying of a 90 size helicopter. That that's uh, you know, it, it's pretty weird. It's, it's impressive that man, you're, you're like, it's kind of almost a you know physics denying, challenging. Let's say, um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it does bend the rules significantly if you watch them. Yeah, and it's it, you know, you look at it and you're like, ooh, kinetic energy. This thing's spooky. And there was another, you know, there have been like over the uh, 80 something years of the AMA, there have been a couple of fatalities, but, you know, if you look at the membership and how many people are flying and all the rest of that, the, the numbers are really low. Um, and, and in that case, it was a self-inflicted deal. So I'm not saying, you know, the world doesn't work that way, you know, where you're not going to have um, fatalities happen from, you know, random things. That's just kind of how it works. So I'm sure we'll have some fatalities at some point. Actually, we did have 
Uh, but that was a military system. You remember that the uh, Siebel helicopter was, uh, and I want to say it was in South Korea or something, and that, that they uh, had an issue and it did go into the GCS and killed two engineers. But that was a military system and not a uh, civilian yeah, system. Civilian based system. Yeah. Again, self-inflicted. Um, you know, whatever, I, whatever the case, but. Uh, the, the, the like punchline on the deal for me is, um, and again, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and get this in hours, understand how many uh, drones have opted into the data collection, you know, because we heard that there's no data collection, yada, yada, whatever, I don't know. I don't know. If, I think it was more of an opt out, but whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to try and distill that down. And if I can get the hours, you know, and if we could break it down by country, yeah, that, that would be uh, fantabulous. Um, but it does suggest, you know, remember that the, the, the FAA, oh, we need data or whatever. And basically we were left trying to prove the negative. And now we, uh, I think we're at a point where we can prove the, the negative and the negative was wrong. And I think it's time to um, readjust or recalibrate the, the, uh, the FARs or the rules or the policy. Um, to to accommodate uh, a little bit more leeway in the envelope. Agree? Disagree? You're you're a manned pilot. What do you think? Well, I, I do agree. Yes, they should revisit it. Uh, safety being the foremost and first thing that the FAA deals with. You know, the, the numbers aren't going to lie. And yes, I am manned. And yes, I have seen a drone on you know approach when I've come in for landing, and it does give you cause for pause. But you know, by the same token, the drone technology is moving so much faster than what the government can keep up with and respond to and adjust to. So they're, they've got a conundrum that they're having to deal with, and it is really shaking up the paradigm there at uh, Linfont Plaza where they're trying to get all this stuff cranked out. Yeah, and uh, really um... – you know, it's going to be tough. It's funny, as I was listening to Art Bell last night, uh, you know, reruns of Art Bell, and Art Bell was 2015, and Art was talking about how our president and the Chinese president were standing together and came to an agreement that they weren't going to uh, hack each other's, let's say, systems and databases, whatever, in the government, you know. The government uh, has got, uh, I think, you know, personally, I think the, our, our government on the technology thing is, is decades behind. Um, there, there's, it's like that story about the, the Dutch kid with his fingers in the dike, you know. Uh, you, you got a lot of holes to plug, man, so um, you better get on it, uh, you know. Um, and, and I don't know exactly what it is, but, uh, you know, there, there's – Anyway, that's that's a whole another podcast for another time. But they do have their work cut out for them, and waiting around and sitting around is not going to make this happen any sooner. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But let's bring on our guest um, today. It's uh, Mr. Tom Prentice from Granite Defense Technology. Tom, you out there? We sure are. All right. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, we're not far from Gene in Central Texas, and the weather's great, and you know, living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. 
So you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt too. That's right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when when he when he described his his attire, I was uh, I was uh, glad I wasn't in the same room with Gene. He probably his, his legs are probably pretty wide about now. Probably. <laughs> Well, you know, you could get a jump on the whole springtime thing, but that's good, you know, that, uh, you know, because when the weather's good, that means we can fly yeah. and get outdoors and do things and, uh, you know, been all cooped up and had cabin fever and all the rest of that. But uh, for the benefit of the audience, sir, could you please, you know, um, give us a little bio, some of the highlights of your career and how you got into unmanned aircraft systems? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and thanks first for uh, having us on. We appreciate it. Um, I spent about 30 years in advanced technology sector. So I was doing high-performance computing, uh, data analytics, and, and, and those, those things. Um, and in 2017, I kind of was looking for a second career. Uh, my brother owns a ranch called Reveille Peak Ranch north of Austin, uh, my brother-in-law. And... Uh, you know, I went out there. The ranch has a lot of the different things it does. It's a it's a beautiful venue, but one of the things it does is it supports the public safety and law enforcement community very very well. Uh, there's a lot of tactical capability, and and the ranch does about 50,000 hours of tactical training, or hosts about 50,000 hours of tactical training. And in my in my second career, you know, my first career I made e people's email go faster. My second career I wanted to do something that was a little bit more focused on you know, the public, sec the public safety space. And so uh, we started Granite Defense and Technologies, and we are embedded at the ranch. And uh, we were going to service the law enforcement, public safety community, critical infrastructure community um, in the tactical space. And, and one day we, we lit the ranch on fire, and I won't tell you how we did that, but we lit the ranch on fire. And <laughs> there were a couple fellows there. One guy was named Quake Kessler and uh, another guy named Chris Ihorn, and they had this thing called a drone, and, and they said, hey, why don't we put this thing up and see if we can help these firefighters who were really not too happy with us for lighting the ranch on fire put out the, uh, put out the fire. And, and so it was almost immediate that I went and said, you know, that's an area that's probably better suited for my background and my experience to focus on than selling suppressors and bullets and, and 5.11 gear to, uh, to that community. So very happily pivoted to being a robotics, um, a robotics company as opposed to a, a, a tactical supplies company. And so that, that's how I got into the, the UAV, UAV space, drone space. Uh, and uh, have been been very very pleased and thrilled that I did uh, make a for you know have a big fortune and have a small fortune. I think applies <laughs> in these things, but I'm still doing it with a smile and just love to death to support the uh, the public safety and 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 that community as a whole. Oh, that's a good story, and I got to make it out to that ranch. You know, I'm. I'd like to see all that. You know, you're talking about all these goodies that we. Uh, I'm in California, of course, and <clears throat> the, uh, the government here. Is, uh, you know, it's like I, I was. It's funny, you know, we're getting off the track, but it's like I was like, oh, you know, I, I need a tax season's coming. I'm going to get a refund. I need a new uh, new pistol. <laughs> right. But the beautiful thing in California is, is the list of what you can buy is so small. Uh, you save money. <laughs> There's really nothing to buy. <laughs> It, it makes the purchasing decision a lot easier too. 
Exactly. So I think, you know, we're, we're going back to the high tech of the 1911, you know, since I can't get anything yeah. else. Figure, yeah, we'll go. Cause nothing says 11, like uh, 45 ACP. Right, Gene? <laughs> he's probably, he's probably uh, that's my favorite uh, brand. I can assure you of that. That's uh, what my well, setup is set up for a reload. And I shoot a lot of 45. So I'm happy with that, that caliber. So we'd love to have we'd love to have you guys out and shoot. Um, the range has 35 tactical move and shoot bays. We have a 600 yard range. We have a 1500 yard range, and there's a mile range. Um, on occasion, on occasion, appropriately so, you'll hear automatic weapons, and and a lot of the state agencies train to do things there that they cannot do in their own training facilities, and and that. That really was the baseline for introducing technology like drones to those operators that spend an awful lot of time at the ranch. Well, yeah, the uh, we, we've always, you know, Gene and I, and I don't want to speak for Gene, but I believe that we're, you know, drones always augment kind of an existing business model. So it sounds like you have a business model that makes sense. You're already doing the training, and of course, I'm sure if you're mm-hmm. doing weapons training, you guys have a uh, you know, pretty button-down program. So before we move on, maybe you could give us the uh, the website for either, you know, Granite Defense or the ranch, or if it's all in one or whatever, so folks could check no, it out. You bet. So the ranch and the and Granite Defense are two separate entities. Um, okay. The, uh, the Granite Defense entity is um, www.granitedefense.com, real simple. Um, and then... For those for those tactical guys who like to do that at the same time or at a different time, um, the the ranch is rprtexas.com. All right, and I'm hopefully be spending more time in Texas, um, so I'm going to be hopefully taking you up on the uh, on, on yeah. that invite because uh, you know there's one yeah. thing I, I I have a hat and I like hot and uh, humid places now. <laughs> No, I will. Uh, I want to check that out. But um, so all of this, you rolled all of it together. Like I said, I'm, I'm assuming that you got a pretty button-down program and an extending to the drones thing. I noticed you had a mention of uh, NIST on the website, which we're all big fans of NIST, you know. Um, and, and we're doing that training. Now, also before we, we got on here, besides talking about country music, which who doesn't love it? old-fashioned country music. Um, we were talking a little bit about uh, you guys have a symposium or, or, or a uh, exhibition that you put on. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so we put on uh, every year, uh, other than 2020, for the last four years, we put on, we call it a summit. Um, it's the Texas Public Safety Robotics Summit, and it's hosted at the ranch. Um, and we bring in... You know, well, let me back up and just say the vision of that, of, of having this summit was to find a way to bring together the, the disparate pilots and program managers to a place where they could share, collaborate, uh, and get a lot of stick time. So uh, one of the advantages of the ranch is that it, it does have a lot of man-made and, and, uh, and natural kind of um, environments that are really, really suitable for um, scenario-based training, and so we conceived of this in 19, 28, 2018 was our first, and 
And uh, it really is about bringing in lots of uh, folks that, uh, among other things, do mutual aid events and getting them to work together, to learn together, to share together, and to fly together. So very, very stick-heavy um, time, two and a half days in, in late March. Vendors uh, do come and uh, are, uh, help us keep the cost really, really low uh, for the attendees. I think it's $250 for a two-and-a-half-day uh, um, uh, ticket for the, for the event for attendees. But uh, in that time, they'll have um, some keynote speakers, not a lot of them. Um, there'll be some vendors doing presentations, some vendors flying their demos, introducing new technologies. Uh, and then a lot, a lot of hands-on time flying um, our tower, our repelling tower, our confined space, our shoot house, the ravine, the accident scene. Um, and we'll have probably seven or eight uh, flight stations that operate concurrently. And that is alongside a very well-built-out NIST, National Institutes of Standards and Technology, um, testing testing facility. We we got a grant uh, two years ago or last year from the Department of Commerce to build out not only the aerial side but also the ground and the water too. Mm -hmm. So very very stick heavy, very very price um, competitive, and all about bringing together pilots and program managers for the purpose of learning, sharing, and practicing and training. And well, one thing I would. I would like to say that, you know, he, he mentioned some folks that are near and dear to my heart with Coit Kessler. He, you know, he's a good friend of mine and Chris. And I was involved with the very – I went out to the very first one that they did. And, you know, yeah, it was great. We kind of all spread out there and threw out, a, you know, a picnic table or whatever, and, and we flew, and it started growing from there. And uh, it, it just continued to get better. And I've got to tell you, last year's show was pro at a summit – was uh, a, probably one of the best drone-related focused gatherings of people that you would ever want to go see. And I, and, and I don't – you know, Patrick, I've spoken. I've been to Vegas. I've been to, you know, all over the place speaking at these drone shows. And I've seen a few of them. And for me, coming from the search and rescue side and seeing all of my – you know, the people that I generally work with out there, law enforcement, fire first responders, emergency managers, and that sort of thing, it was such a focused group that was dealing with strictly the public safety side. And, you know, there was some commercial aspects of it as well, but it was – I was at home. I was completely comfortable with, with being there, and what Tom doesn't tell you is that they go right up into the night – they do night ops. They do scenarios where you're setting up lighting, where you're doing – I got the ambulance involved last year, and it worked great, and we had a great crowd there. And uh, it's just kind of like end-to-end, -end, daylight to, to dark, 30. And uh, it, it just it, – there's something going all the time that you want to go see. And the best part is is that with price of admission, they feed you, and they feed you good food. So, <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Uh, usually you don't like fire in Texas unless there's, you know, <laughs> barbecue or something. <laughs> Man, barbecue and fajitas last year was great. Uh, so, it, I mean, it was, you know, like I said, this if, if you can't make but one show a year, this is it. 
this is the one to go to. Well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, two fifty doesn't sound bad to me. I, you know, I, you know me. I'm uh, I'm very well. I shouldn't say very, but I'm kind of skeptical of a lot of these shows. And it was funny when you're talking to you, you're like, you know me. I've spoken in Vegas, and I've yeah, man, this has been a main to Spain deal with you. You've uh, you're like Johnny uh, <laughs> Appleseed. You've been everywhere, and uh, <laughs> kind of like that Johnny Cash song. And, uh, you know, talk to people and proselytize. It's been a long time, uh, the, the, you know, the, the possibilities. And um, so that's a ringing endorsement. But 250 bucks doesn't sound bad to me. I mean, if, it, it burns my or chaps my hide when I, uh, somebody expects me to pay and I got to go listen to charlatans, man. It really stings my clams. So if you go somewhere, and so and it sounds like to me this isn't just like uh, okay, some uh, somebody's going to stand up with the, the PowerPoint and talk all day, and you know, want to ram pencils in no. here. Uh, no. So to me, so we're so let, let's just like let's break it down. So we got uh, accident scene investigation, you know, and I want to go see that. And it sounds like you have scenarios or vignettes. So so if, if I pay my money, and I'm just trying to understand this, I might be out. Sure. But, yeah. Pay my money, we go over to the accident investigation scene, um, and somebody, you know what, talks about the scenario, and then I actually, as an attendee, do I get to fly that? Do I get to be like the VO for that? Do I just hear about it and watch it? What What happens? Yeah, yeah, all of the above. So, so this is this is all about um, collaboration. It's also about pilots getting hands on their sticks. So, um, for example, the the crash scene. Most likely, Brandon Carr uh, from Pearland uh, PD will be there, and we will write up, or or someone who knows that stuff will write up uh, the scenario that the the pilot is going to run, and then the pilot can run that scenario. Uh, with a VO and exercise that and get pointers from and share with other people who are watching them. And then the next guy gets to go, and then the next guy gets to go, uh, and the next guy gets to go. So so it is real time on sticks in a scenario-based environment with help from people that have gone that path before. Okay. Um, and then so – so you get the. You, you, it sounds like there. You know, there's the setup. We have a scenario that's been, uh, you know, written out, and there's a scenario, and I get to fly that, and all my other um, other attendees or whatever get to do that too. So you you fly the mission. Uh, you get the pointers. You, you 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 understand what's important, which I think a lot of people miss that uh, even. Let's say, you know, there's the real world part of it, you know, and again, I'm sure you right. can't control the weather there, like the wind, and I don't know if you have smoke effects and all the rest of that, but there, there's a lot of different nuances to this. Um, so that all goes down. We've done all of that, and is there, let's say, a post-flight, um, do, do we have a debrief? Is the workflow discussed? Do we talk about software? Do we, what, what, tell us what happens, like the, the long tail, what happens after the flying? Yeah, so so there are some AARs. Um, they're they're generally pretty small in that we have seven flight stations on at any one time, um, and and 
while these are scenario based, it's not a it's not a full scenario. We do have smoke, by the way, um, and we're doing some we're doing some interesting things with airplane fuselages, Gene, this year too. Um, but um, but this it's is cool. it, it is yeah it, you'll enjoy it. Um, you know these are are truncated scenario training opportunities and practice opportunities. So you get a, you get a scenario that's handed to you, you get uh, somebody who's at that flight stage that's helping you along, you get to fly the rappelling tower uh, as an active shooter type scenario. And, and so you're going into the window or the door, you're going up the elevator shaft, you're doing uh, a, an orbit across the top, maybe we're flying two drones, at that at that uh, flight station, maybe just one. Uh, we will talk about it, but there's not a formal AAR uh, or um, postmortem, if you will. It, it would be it, it would limit the number of iterations and reps that people get if we you know took a big chunk out of the time because we've, we're going to have we'll have 300 people to 500 people. And 90% of them are, um, yeah, so, so most of them are pilots or program managers. And, and their jam is I need to fly. I need to fly in, a, in an environment that is um, somewhat what I'll see in the real world with smoke or other variables. I need help building a program if I don't have one. Um, and I need to collaborate with people who've been down this path before. So, so the long answer to your question is we don't have a formalized AAR following or a hot wash following the flight necessarily, but those things happen organically among the people who go fly those stations. Because, and this is what we want. We want Pearland talking to Houston PD or to Austin Fire or to Boston or to Las Vegas or Los Angeles who, who are folks that are coming, because we want them to share experiences, right? We want mm -hmm. them to critique in a positive way, hey, you flew that, uh, you know, what we're doing for, um, um, you know, a, a tower scene, active shooter scene is we're approaching it this way. I saw you did it that way. Why'd you do it that way? And, and, and because we're in a really conducive environment for sharing, those guys get to do that. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people learn a lot of stuff by getting out there and doing it. All right. It's a, it's, it's, it's a empirical knowledge that's imparted on the other attendees. So you, you, you mentioned that there's, uh, I think, seven uh, stations. Could you, mm -hmm. could you run through uh, sure. seven? Yeah, there's a, we have a ravine. Uh, and all these scenarios, these flight stations, are centered around a central a pavilion that we do our presentations at and our keynotes at and we have lunch at and, and we huddle at. But um, so the, there's a ravine that is uh, on, on uh, one side and that is a post-flood mock-up. So uh, it's a nice ravine, lot, not, lots of nice rocks and difficulty and nooks and crannies. And so we fly a post-flood um, post scenario there. Uh, we have a wide area mapping environment we have a barricaded subject uh, or active shooter. Uh, we have a missing persons, and we have a uh, critical thinking session. And we're now building a new confined space shoot house on the property, uh, Gene, that you haven't seen yet. That's where the uh, the, uh, the um, exhibit booth was. Exhibit booths were we're building a 30 by 50 confined space for 
um, aerial robots to go in and navigate indoor flying as well. Big demand for that these days. We're we're doing a lot of Huge. construction on confined space flying. Yeah, so a lot of those, yeah. Yeah, we had some of that, uh, that uh, SAC PD was using a little uh, FPV indoor, you know, flying, which is, uh, it's good. I, I think it's a good application. So let's, before and, we go, uh, I think, oh, go, go ahead, Gene. Well, one thing I wanted to, to point out, what everybody gets to try, at least last year, and I'm sure Tom mentioned that it's going to be a full NIST course setup. Uh, everyone gets to try their hand on that. Uh, last year, you had some proctors out there too, didn't you, uh, mm-hmm. didn't you, Tom? You had some ASTM proctors out there. Yeah, the whole ranch, um, because of the grant that the ranch got, and because of what we do here at Granite Defense, we're very, very focused on, you know, the NIST stuff uh, as part of a, a, a good curriculum and a good training uh, approach. But, but the ranch, all those, all those scenarios that we described will be outfitted with, you know, the, the NIST uh, um, instruments. And, but we also have a designated area where we had five what, what we call open lanes. And I'm on the, um, the, the uh, working group for NIST response robot um, group, and so I helped build them. But there'll be five open lanes and then some what we call obstructed lanes, and everybody gets to fly there. It's open all the time. So if you're not watching a presentation, looking at a vendor's exhibition, Flying the repelling tower in the barricaded subject um, scenario, uh, then you can be flying on the NIST course, or, or you can be, you know, collapsed in the corner because you're exhausted. Um, <laughs> and and so we will have both in the field um, NIST, but also um, in the flight station NIST. And last year we did have. Uh, immediately following this year's show on the ranch in the same venue at the same um, ru- immediately following, we APSA Airborne Public Safety Association will be hosting a for fee training opportunity to be a proctor for their next level, which is called the um, Advanced NIST uh, APSA certification. And those proctors will then be able to go forth and do their thing. So, so they can do that right after. But during the event. Uh, I just got off the phone with Adam Jakoff, who is the director of NIST, uh, yep. earlier this morning, and he well. said he believes he believes there will be proctors there to um, help people run through that open course, uh, and if they want to get a NIST open course certification as a pilot, then they can uh, they can coordinate um, a small fee-based thing with with APSA to get. Uh, to get that certification for as a pilot, and that and that part's going to go on during the summit. So during the summit, pilot opportunities to get certified if they want. There is a fee associated with that that goes to goes to APSA, uh, and then immediately following, there'll be the uh, proctor training class, also fee based for those people who want to be proctors in the future for the advanced. Okay, well, it sounds like a lot's going on there, but, you know, it's, uh, it happens every week, you know, 45 minutes, you know, you think, wow, you know, it uh, goes quick. So before we run out the clock, could, do you have the uh, website address for the event? Yeah, it's, that is txpsrobots.com, txpsrobots.com and, uh, is our website. Space- is space limited, or you said 300 people, that's okay. So, yeah, uh, no, well, we said we, that. We, we have a we have the capacity at the ranch for about 
25,000. We do, we do Spartan races and some other things as well. But so I, I think if someone, if we got to the point where we're at a thousand, we might start looking at slowing it down. But in so much as the people, uh, I think we're in pretty good shape between, you know, 500 and a thousand. Okay. Cause even when you said 300, it's like at a training event, uh, it's a lot of people mm-hmm. to, 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 to get through the, uh, through the shoot, let's say. Um, but, you know, okay. Yeah. That's, you know. that's, that's why we have as many venues, and we have more venues that we can spin up as well. So that's just at one of the one of the locations. We have another location that has very very similar scenario. So if we get to the point where we need to flex over to the other location, that's easy. And we are burying we are burying the airplane somewhere in the mountains or the rocks rather. Oh, you're uh, so, over here. Yeah. You're giving so away it's, the uh, secrets. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk. You know, you mentioned, and I'm I'm uh, definitely like a converging technology. You know, uh, mm-hmm. land, air, sea, and space with unmanned technologies. Yeah. And you talked about uh, space a little harder to get to, but I, it's coming. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about uh, some of the other technologies. What do you have for the ground robots, and what do you have for the yeah. underwater robots? So we are, yeah, no, we're building out the NIST equivalent of that, and that, you know, drives some of that activity. We are trying to make this a robotics event as opposed to just a UAV event. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, and we really started doing that last year. So we have uh, Telemax and ICOR solution, both tracked robots that will be there. Last year we had Ghost. Uh, I think this year we'll have either Spot or Ghost again, maybe in a different incarnation. Uh, we are working on some other ground robots, water robots. There are a few of those. And, and I might say also the i with Brink is an interesting thing because they use Picatinny rails on top of the i and you mm-hmm. can mount the Brink on top of that. And then so you can open on – on our door, the shoot house we're building, we're building multiple door handles. So the ground robot can go up and open the door, and then the drone can fly in and – you know, clear the room as necessary, or go through the window if you want to use a window breaking tool, uh, or some other vehicle, or a rock. Uh, and then on the water side, we have a hundred foot clear water quarry that we have built a floating dock on that will instrument with NIST um, instruments. And uh, last year we sunk a car with a faux body in the front and a faux bomb in the back, and we used Emily side scan sonar to go find it, and then we used a deep trekker ROV to go pluck the the bomb out of the back. So. Uh, we're working on some those, – those, those tend to be a little bit more um, demonstration-related than, than practice-related at this point. But the integration, airspace, air, water, ground, and space is something that we're pretty keen on as well. Yeah, well, it's uh, – you know, they all work together, and, um, you know, I find uh, different people kind of excel at different stuff, and, you know, some may excel at all of this stuff. I definitely – yeah. I like the underwater stuff. Um, you know, they all they all have a place. It's pretty interesting. So, yeah, the other thing with the ranch and, and this uh, is it is it uh, pretty easy to get there. I'm sorry. Say again. Is it pretty easy to get there, or is it like you guys out there yes. nowhere? Yeah, we are an hour and 15 minutes north of Austin Airport. We're two hours north of San Antonio Airport and two and a half hours south of Dallas. So we're kind of centrally located between those, those three major hubs. Uh, and uh, while the ranch is austere, permissive, 
and safe, we are in G airspace, and um, you know the roads are pretty easy to get there. Excellent. Well, you know, uh, I think it was a good good podcast. We talked about a lot of good stuff like training and whatnot. And I know Gene, you know, is a big proponent of that, right, Gene? Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> And, uh, no, it sounds really interesting uh, to me and a worthwhile, uh, you know, program and whatnot. So, to, you know, people to ch- go check that out. One more time on the website, please, Tom. TXPSRobots.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, Tom, thanks for being on. And uh, we, we learned a lot. And, and everyone else, we'll see you next week. Thank you, sir. See you. Bye.